in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Tampa Bay Lightning took a 3-0 series lead on the Florida Panthers. And the Panthers, who had the most points in the NHL in the regular season at 122, now have an 0-3 hole. They have been outscored 11-3 in this series. Let me ask you what I asked him, Ben, because I'm, I just, maybe it's John Cooper, maybe it's uh, confidence they're two-time defending champions. They're talented, but do you see anything that would lead you to believe Tampa's just different than everybody? They do this all the time. It, there it's should, amazing. No, there shouldn't be a reason that they're up 3-0 right, on the that, President's Trophy winner. That we're just talking about, oh, yeah, no problem. Take out no. Toronto, take out Florida, maybe sweep Florida here. We'll see. Like, there's there's no real reason we i tell you all the time hockey's dumb right it's a dumb sport dumb things happen for whatever reason tampa for now if they actually pull this off three straight seasons just avoids any of the dumb luck that happens in hockey and like it, it's remarkable for them to do this because it's the it's the main sport where the best team doesn't always win of our primary sports it's the main sport where right the best team doesn't always win i mean weird things happen and there are more upsets in this sport than any other, any other of our major sports. And for Tampa to avoid that for the last two years, and then I guess technically this is an upset by standings because they were the third best team in their division. It's still fascinating to me that they can be this I just good. Don't, I mean, credit to them. I mean, they're, they're, I yeah. think they're amazing. And obviously Cooper, anyway, is he available? <laughs> Maybe they could bring him to have a Mackenzie River and throw him a pizza. <laughs> you were talking about bringing guys to dinner. Uh, Mackenzie River might be the stop. Uh, I don't think you're getting anybody if you're taking them to Mackenzie River. You might need to do a little nicer than that, don't I, you? I told you this last week, but I loved it. I got to repeat it. I love the tweet that said, uh, my dad said Barry Trotz is in town. There was a bald guy at downtown Summerlin. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Trotz is in town. Yeah, Barry Trotz is just wandering around downtown Summerlin to get a feel for the place. He got lost. Didn't yeah, know exactly. where he was. They didn't pick him up. They said, hey, take the Uber. <laughs> I'm out. The Rangers won game three over Carolina. They avoided a 3-0 hole. They're down 2-1 to Carolina. Igor Shesterkin made 43 saves on 44 shots. Um, Gerard Gallant. Do you remember when he was here and he and Pete DeBoer yelled at each other yes. in the media? Pete DeBoer's problem with Gerard Gallant was that Gallant was yelling at San Jose Sharks players. And now Gerard Gallant <laughs> is yelling, yelling at Tony D'Angelo and the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> this guy's incredible. I loved it. I want the uh, meme. I mean, obviously there's a meme now. Yes. Of him. Why don't you shut the bleep up? Yeah. You're chirping. And then he makes the sa- he makes the, uh, <laughs> the signal motion. of the, the hand signal for chirping. <laughs> I thought he was mad at I thought he was mad at 
him taking the cheap shot, but he was talking about chirping. So which is it, man? Is he you mad at the cheap shot? I guess I guess with Gerard, he'd be mad at both. He's mad at everything. Yeah. I think he's he was I think he was mad at the cheap shot, but he wasn't gonna say anything until there was more verbal arguments after the right. cheap shot. Right. He would have just left and complained about the cheap shot, but because I don't know what Tony D'Angelo was saying, but whatever Tony D'Angelo was saying, Gerard Clark was not happy yeah. with. Because after winning a game, he decides, nope, I got to tell that guy to shut the bleep up. I sort of want Turk just to keep rallying and winning uh, and winning series. Going behind in series and coming yes, back to I, win I series? Yes, I want to do, yeah. Because then people wouldn't look and probably laugh at him. Well, he's going to play Tampa next round if he gets out, so that might not happen. Hmm. He goes down in that series. I don't know if he's coming back. I don't know if he's telling Steven Stamkos to stop surfing either. Eh, I think it'd be fun if Turk won it all. What do you think? It would be great. It would be great if he won it all. While the Golden oh, Knights man. still haven't hired a coach yeah. or something? Well, Barry Trotz is wandering around the Apple store. <laughs> Excuse me, where's City National? <laughs> he's at the Aviators ballpark. Like, is he at the ballpark? hockey. Is... <laughs> That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> Justin Thomas won the PGA Championship. We had a playoff between him and William Zalatoris after Mito Pereira who had a one-stroke lead going into 18, hit into the water, ended up bogeying, and going from in the lead to out of a playoff. Lost to PJ and a million bucks with one one, one Wh- stroke. What was that swing, by the way? It was a bad one. What, what happened there? You think like, he got to him? I, I don't know. Like, what? Like, that was like... He had played so well also. I yeah. mean, he was, I think it was three over yesterday. But, I mean, they all come back in the last day because there's so much pressure. So, they all come back to the pack. But, I mean... Except, like, McElroy actually went up and, and finished in the top 10. Uh, McElroy was one bad round away from winning. He played really well all week. So, I don't know. I mean, I maybe it got to him. He's a really young guy. He's been, I don't even know how long he's been on the tour. He's like 23, isn't he? He's, like, really young, this guy. How old is he? Dan, Danny's got it. He's going to look that up. It was a... Um, I, he, I don't think he's been around that long. So, maybe it got to him a little. I mean, bad swing, million bucks, and the title. Million bucks. Oh, yeah. It's a disaster. Complete disaster. Where you again? All the, if you, I, hey, I gave the credit for I gave him credit for doing the TV interview. I mean, oh he, yes. I mean, no, I seriously. Yeah. How old is he? Am I am I, am I wrong? Your age guessing over get there, Amito Pereira. So he is twenty seven. He turned okay. pro in two thousand fifteen. So when he, okay, was he hasn't 20. been around that long. Okay. All right. Twenty seven. He's old. Yeah. Who is this twenty seven year old? Unbelievably old. But yeah. So he went from in the lead. If he simply pars 18, he, he, pars it, yeah. he wins, he yeah. ends up double bogeying and doesn't uh, even get to go to the playoff. If he just bogeys, he's at least in the three-man playoff and has a, a, a chance. But he double bogeys because he hit it into the water on what was a horrific-looking swing. Like I, I'm not a golf expert, but that looked horrible. That looked like somebody at Topgolf who swung a golf club <laughs> six times in their life. Wasn't Mike Trout who hit it out of Top Golf? No, it was not Mike Trout. <laughs> it was somebody who had been it's the first time swinging a golf club is what it looked like. What do you think? Deshaun Watson's lawyer does not believe Trevor Bauer's suspension will impact Deshaun Watson's suspension. He was asked this by the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and his quote was, I'm going to try to be an optimist and say it will have no effect at all because it has no logical connection. Do you believe that the NFL will look at Major League Baseball suspending Trevor Bauer for two seasons and saying, oh, we need to do something no. similar to Deshaun I Watson? I think the NFL does its own thing. I think they... The ego in the NFL. I don't think they look at anyone else other than themselves. What the, I don't know what the precedent is for this. I don't. I've never heard of guys with 
being sued by 25 different women because of something with massagers. So there's no precedent to go on, I don't think. Um, but uh, unless we want to go to Washington, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think they go to Trevor Bauer. I think they make up their own mind. And I don't think. My own feeling. I don't think it's close to two seasons. I don't either. Not, I, not close. I think he's playing this year. To tell you the right. truth, right? I. I guess we haven't actually heard anything about like. The NFL just started talking to Sean Watson last week. So we haven't actually heard any reporting about like, oh, the NFL is leaning towards this. But I, I think I'm with you. I'd be shocked if he even if he got one year, if they said you're suspended for one full season, I'd be stunned if it was that. So Baker, yeah, Baker Mayfield time. <laughs> so I'd be stunned if it was that. So I, I think we are getting a half season or less suspension for Deshaun Watson. But again, like we talked about last week, they, the NFL just interviewed Deshaun Watson about this. Like, when are they actually going to come to a decision yeah. on Deshaun Watson? Well, are they just going to push it you off. Said until it, the, you said it last season? week. It's like when we were shocked. It's like they finally met with this dude. He was sitting out the entire year last year, right? Although, like you said, it might have been, it might have been Houston with a wink, wink agreement. Like we're not playing him, so it's not really a big deal. He, we're not going to play the guy all year. But for them to have met with him after he signs this huge deal, he's got all this guaranteed money, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, maybe we should talk to this guy? It, yeah. it made no sense that last week was the yeah. first time they sat down with this guy. It's like they put it off as long as they Why? possibly could. <laughs> and I, You're right. I don't know. Because, they again, they could have done all this last year when he was not yeah, playing. Yeah, the when they knew he wasn't going to play. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they didn't. And we're sitting here in May, and we still don't have an answer as to what Deshaun Watson's punishment is going to be. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. Jadavion Clowney re-signed with the Browns a one-year deal worth a max of $11 million. So here's the question that goes hand-in-hand with the Deshaun Watson suspension. What are the Browns next year as far as playoffs go? Are they a contender for the postseason? Are they the third well, best team in that division? behind Baltimore and Cincinnati, probably. Probably ahead of Pittsburgh. We don't know what Pittsburgh's quarterback situation is going to be. So third is what? Nine and eight, something like that. Maybe ten and seven if they're the third best team. Yeah, I, I mean, the here's the thing with the AFC. What is it? You can count out eleven teams, not including Cleveland. Eleven teams: Buffalo, New England, Miami, Indy, Tennessee, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and all four teams in the, the AFC, AFC West. West. That's eleven teams that think they are going to the playoffs this year. It's a lot of teams. Uh, only seven get to go. If Cleveland has, let's say, Deshaun Watson gets a four-game suspension. Cleveland will think they're going to the postseason, too, right? Yes. If he gets, like, ten or more, then Cleveland then will probably not. Yeah. All right. But if they, if Deshaun Watson's able to play 13-plus games, Cleveland's going to be team number 12 that thinks, hey, we can go to the postseason this year. It's a crazy conference because, again, that's 12 teams. Seven go. That means five of those teams are going to have a failure of a season by not making the and playoffs. And many could have good records. Right. So... Being the third best team in the AFC North probably means you missed the playoffs at right. the end of the day. So that's going to be, it'll be very, I'm very curious to see what the AFC looks like as far as record goes for the wild card spots. Because the other part of this is even if all those teams are good, they're not all going to have good records because they, they're going to play each other. They're going to have to beat up on each other. And so you could have like a nine and eight. We'll just use the Raiders. The Raiders could be nine and eight, and that could be a wild card team because. Everybody else beat up on everybody, and there's enough parity that everybody's 9-8 eight right. or 8-9. Eight so uh, the Browns are interesting because if they get Deshaun Watson for 13 games or something, they're in this mix, too, where they're thinking, we're a playoff team.
happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. The Las Vegas Aces beat the Phoenix Mercury 100-80 to on Saturday. The Aces now 3-0 and against Phoenix on the year. They won't play Phoenix. Three of the seven rest of games. The they don't yep. play in the rest of the season. Unless they meet in the postseason. Uh, Phoenix did not have Skylar Diggins-Smith in this game. She was sick. Uh, they also obviously don't have Brittany Griner. They didn't have two of their best three players. But the Aces outscored Phoenix 38-18 to in the third quarter. After leading by just two at half, it was the franchise record for points in a quarter. Uh, this team good, or is or they just beat think, up on no, Phoenix? No, well, they just beat up on Phoenix. <laughs> I think they're really, really good. Um, don't think they're great defensively yet, and uh, Becky Hammond, after every game, will tell you that. Um, <laughs> they could beat someone 138. She's like, yeah, we gave up 80 points. We gave up 80 points. I don't like it. Um, you have this down there. This was pretty funny because Darren Waller was there, and he was going crazy, standing up, like cheering every time this happened. I didn't know this. I was at the game. I didn't know that if the opposing team misses two free throws, they get a slice of pizza. Yeah, if somebody misses both free throws on the same trip to the line. Right, yeah. right. Um, miss two or miss, miss twice, two, get miss a slice. twice, get a slice. Yes. I mean, I heard that like 10 times. And Darren Waller, every time someone missed the first one, was standing and like cheering yes. like, you can't afford some pizza. They really no, need to get Waller the, wants the They really pizza. need to get this guy a new deal. So it's a great promotion, especially when somebody misses the first free throw because everybody starts cheering. Yeah. But what was great about this is the aces – blowing out Phoenix, right? There's two seconds left. Their clock could just run out and the refs called a foul. Right. So there's two seconds left in this blowout of a game. And the crowd was probably louder than it had been at any point yes. because that whoever went to the line for Phoenix missed both free throws with two seconds left in a blowout game. And that was over 5,000. I assume it's coupons. They didn't get, they didn't let everyone go up and get the slice. Then I assume it's like, no, a I, you take your, you take your ticket stub and that game. Yeah. I think you have to do it that day. Wow, I don't, I don't know if I'm standing in line for that slice. No offense, I don't know how good the. I have not had the pizza at their I think, it's just their, food, I think it's just their food court uh, in in Mandalay Bay. So it's not, it's like not the concession. Can you see something? if you're working at that pizza place in the food court, the swarm of people coming at you like, oh my god, someone missed two free throws, and you have to give away a slice. It would take forever to get that slice. If I was those employees, I would pray everyone made all their free throws. Oh, I, why would you want that craziness coming at you? I'd quit and go say, hey, is the panda yes. next door yes, exactly. hiring? I'll that food court there. right there at Mandalay. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the Raiders and what their offensive line is going to look like this season. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. What position is Alex Leatherwood playing this season? Educated hot take, right tackle. Vinny Bonsignore, you can, who you can hear on Raider Nation Radio, uh, in the Review Journal wrote, Alex Leatherwood will be given a chance to move back to right tackle and regain his starting job. Um, we had that quote earlier in the offseason from Josh McDaniels about Leatherwood where he said, we know what he was drafted for, and we're going to give him an opportunity to do such. He was drafted as a right tackle. And if you remember, Leatherwood started at right tackle last year, three games, got moved to right guard. Wasn't very good. No. Uh, he was the lowest graded tackle in the NFL by pro football focus. When they moved him, he ended up being graded the 80th out of 82 guards after they moved him. So didn't really work out at either position. The reasoning that Vinny gave in his story is that one Denzel good, who got hurt last year is healthy at the moment. It's offensive line. So guys get hurt quite a bit, but at the moment Denzel good projected healthy and might be their second best offensive lineman behind Colton Miller. So he should be starting at one spot. 
And then John Simpson and Dylan Parham, the kid they drafted in the third round, are going to be battling for one of the other guard spots, which would leave right tackle open. And Alex Leatherwood's main competition there would probably probably be Brandon Parker uh, and Leatherwood. Parker hasn't exactly been good in his, what, three or four years now in the NFL. So Leatherwood wouldn't have a whole lot to beat out to be the starting right tackle. Uh, is that good? Oh, I don't know if it's good. <laughs> I just gave you the hot take that I think he's going to get the best shot of starting there. I mean, he was the worst right tackle in football last year. So how much could he have improved over the last year? I'm not going to say he has improved. I'm not going to say that, but improved to the level that he's going to be very good. I'm not so sure. Offensive line is one of the main positions where guys see more of a jump from year one to year two, right? And we saw it with Colton Miller. He wasn't right. as bad as Alex Leatherwork was. Yeah, but he was. Good. He wasn't good in his first season, but he became, you know, average and then good. And then last year, what was he? I think number five by pro football. He's great last year. Tackles. So, like, there is definite, like, signs that offensive linemen improve at a pretty significant rate after year one. So there's reason to believe Alex Leatherwood will not be the 80th tackle in the NFL next year. But does that mean he's the 74th tackle? Right. Like that's still not good. good. If that's the case, if you told me, Hey, he's going to be the 40th best tackle in football. You probably take that and you say, great. It's a two times jump. Right. You, but you say fantastic. But I don't think that happens. I don't think that happens. I think that's too big of a jump right. to expect from Alex Leatherwood. And reading Vinny's story, I also, I don't think he explicitly said this, but also got the insinuation that this is their offensive line. Like oh, the, yeah. the, the players might, yeah. they might be moving around, like figuring out which, who I think works best I think where. they're done. Which... <laughs> Is amazing that they they tried to they tried to address a lot of spots, and the one spot you thought they should address most they didn't address. Well, I mean they draft other than the other than the draft. Dylan draft. Parm in the third Dylan round. Dylan Parm, yeah, in the third of. round. So here's the problem with that, and like we just said with Alex Otherwood, he'll probably improve, but probably not significantly enough to be considered a good tackle. The Raiders are basically counting on that happening for every position on their offensive line. If this is who they're going with, because if you, if you go through it, right, Colton Miller's your starting left tackle in this scenario, either John Simpson or, or Dylan, Parham. Dylan Parmer rookie is rookie. your starting left guard. John Simpson last year, 69th best guard in pro football, uh, according to pro football focus, 69th best. So if he makes a jump up to 55, that's still not good. Your center would be Andre James at the moment. He was the 20th best center out of 39. Not bad. Not, not great. Your right guard. He makes a jump. Yeah. Your right guard in this scenario is Denzel Good, who last year was, or excuse me, last year didn't play enough to get uh, uh, ranking. 2020, his last full season, 57th out of 80 guards, right? Average. Less than average. And then you go to right tackle where Alex Leatherwood, we talked about, maybe Brandon Parker. He was 76th out of 83 tackles last year. So regardless of who actually plays on the offensive line, there's Colton Miller, who's good, and then four guys that you're all counting on. Being a lot better. To just get to average, right? All four of those guys need to be a Which lot better. Which in some situations would be a lot better. Right. Just need to, if, they, if they're a lot better, they're average. Right. If they're a little bit better, they're all still bad. Right. That's a lot to ask because here's the thing let's say Denzel
Jones healthy this year and Denzel Good has a great season. You have two good offensive linemen. The other three are still bad, right? Even if Denzel Good is has a good season and Alex Leatherwood takes this big jump where he's the 28th best tackle in football, you still have two offensive linemen that are bad. Uh, so for them to get four guys to make a significant jump, it's just completely unrealistic. They're going to have bad offensive linemen this year. They're going to have, we're going to have games talking about, oh, they're them not addressing the offensive line is why they lost. This is why they lost because they got hit lost. 10 right. times and sacked four. Right. Others. Jacobs ran for 31 yards on 17 carries. And Carr and, was running for his life. Right. And Carr got hit 17 times in the game right. and fumbled twice. Like, we're, if th- that's going to happen this year. And we've talked about it the entire offseason. We've spent months sitting around saying, all right, when, when are they going to do something? They haven't done anything. Technically, June 1st comes around. They'll have a little bit more salary cap space. They can go sign an offensive lineman. But so far, the insinuation I'm getting is this is it. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly where everybody will end up playing, who the actual five starters are, but this is it. And that's pretty brutal. Are they that confident in their new coaching staff that they can get these guys a lot better? I mean, it sure seems like it is. The interesting part on that is... Everyone gave Tom Cable credit for doing that. Everyone gave Tom Cable credit for, well, he can take guys that aren't very good and give you an average offensive line. He didn't do that last year. Right. And the, the, the new coaching staff says, let's bring back those same guys that Tom Cable couldn't make work. Maybe you are, but I think that's foolish to be so confident that you're better than Tom Cable was or the pre, anybody in the previous coaching staff that you can basically make no improvement. Your improvement is Denzel Good is healthy. And you drafted Dylan Parham in the third round. I don't think that that to me, if their plan is, hey, we're going to make these guys significantly Parham's better. Parham's absolutely an interior guy because he plays some center as well. Yeah, center and guard is what everything is projected as for Dylan Parham. So maybe it, that's the thing. Maybe he beats out Andre James and is the starting center. Right. Like there, there, there's a lot of different. You could go through a lot of different combinations because. Leatherwood can technically play inside or outside. Good can play, I think, left or right guard. Brandon Parker, I think, has played both tackle and some guard. So, like, there's a lot of different options they could run through to try to figure this out. But at the end of the day, you're still talking about four bad linemen needing to become average. pretty bad for such versatility. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, they batted everything? Because, like, you just went through four guys. Like, well, he can play here, he can play there. It's like, yeah, but none are very good. this This is one of the keys on the phrase versatility. 99% 99% of the time, versatility means you're not very good. means your average is something not great at others. Right. Like, they're, like the, the rare right. exceptions are, you know, Shohei Otani right. is versatile, and he's great at pitching and great at hitting. Debo Samuel is versatile. He's great out of the backfield. He's great as a receiver. But the majority of the time when somebody's versatile, it just means they're not very good at anything. They're maybe average at a lot of things, and they just because if they were really good at one thing, that's they would have been they would be stuck there a long if time Leatherwood ago. If Leatherwood was really, really good at right moved. tackle, right, then that's what he would be. Never would have played right guard in the NFL if he had been good at tackle. When to they start. moved him, did they say he was versatile? Probably. Or did they just say this guy's yeah, really not probably. good? So we got to move inside. I don't remember the exact press conference, but yeah, they're probably like, yeah, we love his versatility. <laughs> we're gonna move him inside today. <laughs> yes, if you're versatile. Usually means you're not actually good at any one thing. And Dave Ziegler has used the word versatile. Yeah, well, he loves it. He loves that word. Yeah, loves it's always it. talked about. Which again, there there's benefits to it. There's obvious benefits to it, but usually it means you aren't good enough to have just been a locked on starter at right. one position. It means you're probably not good enough to be starting. Coming up next, Sam Gordon joins the show.
Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. How are you? Good morning, fellas. Happy Monday. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Um, all right. We It's gotten a little bit better the last couple of days, but do you think that the NBA has seen enough blowouts in the playoffs that they need to try to fix something? Or has this just been a fluky season and a fluky week that they shouldn't be too concerned about? Yeah, I, I think it's more the latter, Tyler. I think just based, you know, just kind of some of some, the matchups are what they are. I, I don't think there's a truly great NBA team this season. And that's no disrespect to Miami, Boston, or, or Golden State, which of course has championship pedigree and championship medal. But you don't have a, you know, the kind of a, a defining team of, of this year. And that's why I think these playoffs for so many people uh, were compelling. I mean, Giannis is, in my, in my opinion, the best player in the NBA. He didn't make the conference finals. So it just goes to show you, I, I think the, 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 this playoffs has more been about grinding it out and just kind of the mental fatigue. And you don't know what team's going to show up on any given night. And it's been a, a playoffs of adjustments on, on both sides. Uh, but hopefully, yeah, to your point, hopefully we get – uh, a few more competitive games here. I, I think we've seen a lot, like you said, where, where a team goes up big right away and the other team kind of comes back and makes a push, but it never really gets um, super close. Some of the series, I mean, certainly the, the Dallas Golden State series, I thought would feature a little bit more drama, but I'm expecting a super competitive game four tonight, Miami, Boston in the garden. Uh, we'll see if Dallas can, can, can make it a gentleman's sweep and, and force another game. But yeah, just a, a wacky NBA playoffs. And I think that, that definitely is a byproduct of not having that traditional kind of powerhouse juggernaut team we thought it would be phoenix uh potentially phoenix with the historically great regular season that they had uh it wasn't and now it looks like the uh you know the over-reliable golden state warriors might get it done again so we'll see what happens but yeah i think definitely kind of just a fluky postseason with the way everything's shaking out uh have you ever seen this many injuries i mean you turn around and (laughs) there's always been someone hurt and not not just in these series but the series before it and how much do you think that's played into either these blowouts or how the how the playoffs have played out Oh, I think it's absolutely um, played a defining factor. I mean, what if what if Joel Embiid is healthy the entire series? He was playing, you know, his best basketball his career going into the postseason. I'm not I'm not still sure what James Harden has left uh, in terms of being a contributor. But jo- Joel Embiid, we didn't see apex Joel Embiid this postseason because of the injuries. We didn't see what Memphis could do fully, completely because of what happened with John Moran. Chris Middleton is the second best player on the defending champion Miami uh, Milwaukee Bucks. And he didn't play at all against Boston, and, and, and Milwaukee still took that series seven. So when you, when you have a number of key players like that, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shape um, the outcome. And, and injuries are, you know, I think they're a factor every year in some way, shape, or form. Injuries help determine the postseason. But you have great players on teams that you thought had a chance to win the title um, go down and not be available. And that's, it's, it's, it, you're right. It's, it's a, it feels like it's a little, a little more than normal. I know there were some injuries last year, too. Uh, but that made sense because of how short the season was after the bubble and after COVID and whatnot. But but this year with, with the injuries, yeah, they definitely played a role um, in defining these playoffs. I think, you know, Boston's been the, definitely the beneficiary of some of that. Miami, too. Um, and even Golden State, to a degree, all the teams that are around. I don't know what happened to Chris Paul. If he got hurt, he certainly played like it. But if he was banged up and we, we find out that he was banged up in that series, then I'm sure that played a part in Dallas getting there as well. So it's always tough to see, you know, stars go down and whatnot and not be able to play, but that's just kind of how the, how the cookie crumbles at this point in the season. What do you think Dallas needs around Luka to be a legitimate contender that could win an NBA title? Oh, geez. Um, that is a great question, right? They're, they're, 
Luca clearly to me good enough player to to be the number one on a championship team. That much is I think is obvious, and I think we've known that for a couple of years. But when I on Brunson, their, their second leading scorer in these playoffs, he feels to me more like a number three. I would like to see them. You know, they have to go out. I think a, a wing player, a two way wing player that can give you some offense and create a little bit um, off the bounce and, and create for other guys. I also think uh, they, they they lack the, the the center position. Tyler, as you know, it's changed, it's evolved, and it's very different. And, Sometimes you don't even need one, but watching how um, Dallas has just been getting killed on the glass this series, and they have no answer. You have to, you have to have options. You have to have different lineup combinations. You have to be able to play different styles and do different things. Golden State hasn't deviated from what they've done, but they've unleashed this offensive rebounding with Kevon Looney that's really made it hard for Dallas, and they just have so much firepower. They, they spread you out so much, Golden State does, and Dallas just quite can't match that. So I think you know, some kind of some kind of big that can can play a role when you're in these series and when you need help on the glass, and then a, a wing player that, that can create a little bit off the dribble and defend. But those players are at a premium. Like those are really hard to find. So I think Dallas, you know, overachieved a little bit this year. I think that's becoming clear. And I think what we what we learned, and, and no disrespect to the Mavs whatsoever, they get all their credit for the way Luca played and for the defensive adjustments against in, against Phoenix. But that series was as much about Phoenix's internal implosion as it was Dallas. They're here a little early, and as Golden State's reminding everybody, there's levels to this. They're experienced. They've been there and done that, and as a result, they've won every, you know, every big eight-minute stretch in the series. They've won that, and that's ultimately, I think, determined the trajectory of these playoffs. So it's going to be tough, but the good thing is Luke is only 23, and you have time, and now this team has experience. You have time to build around him and you know, get creative in what you're able to do. You know, these guys said on the postgame last night, I want to know, is it easy enough just to say – that Andrew Wiggins is just a byproduct of he doesn't have to be the guy, number one pick, the pressure was on him, and now we're really seeing him blossom as a number three or four option, and he doesn't have to worry about being the main you know, source of what happens or he can just play his game? 110%. Andrew Wiggins didn't have value in Minnesota, right, in Minnesota. That's just what it was. I was in town um, when the Timberwolves traded for him, and, of course, you know, following the team still extremely closely in the league as a whole. He just didn't show – uh, these kinds of things. He was, you know, we, we, the, the talent was there. We knew he could score the ball. We knew he was capable of some things. We knew he had defensive potential. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work in Minnesota. And, and Minnesota's a team that's changing its culture now, that's reshaping the trajectory of its franchise with Chris Finch and Anthony Edwards, uh, and new ownership with, with uh, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie. But at that time, it, it was one of the worst. I mean, it's one of the most dysfunctional organizations in the league. And he's not the type of player that's going to transcend that. And it really seemed like there was a lot of apathy in Minnesota about trying to transcend that and power through that. But in Golden State, championship team, championship culture, where you have great veterans, great coaching, great front office, great ownership, all these resources uh, in place. And to your point, all they're asking you to do is to defend, you know, defend really hard, run the floor, knock down, take, take, and make open shots and attack closeouts. And he's doing it to a T. I, I must say, uh, I didn't necessarily foresee this um, when this trade happened, but when you take a look at his skill set and the things that he did showcase that he could do well, they fit perfectly around what Golden State wants to do with their offense, with their superstars. I have to tip my cap to Andrew Wiggins. He's been excellent. Uh, it wasn't just last night. He's been excellent all postseason. Timely rebounds, timely stops, making timely shots, uh, playing his role to perfection. And, uh, and he gets his credit for doing that. Golden, Golden State certainly played a big part in that, but so did he. He had to buy in. He hadn't showed a willingness to do that previously, and now he has. And he clearly is a championship caliber you know, role player or high-end role player uh, that is more than capable of impacting a playoff series. That's that, to me, is the barometer for how we judge players, how they play in the playoffs. You can't hide in the playoffs. And 
not only is he not, you know, not only is he not hiding, he's been shining, and it's a credit to him and, and Golden State for sure. Are the Aces this good, or have they just gotten to beat up on the Phoenix Mercury three times already? <laughs> uh, probably a combination of both. I, I do think uh, that now again it's premature; it's only seven games. But what we've seen, we've seen a little. There's a little Golden State in them where they can snap these six, eight minute runs where they're playing so fast and they have so much shooting and the pace of the game and, and you have five players that can put the ball on the floor and go to the rim and shoot. It's very, very, very modern basketball uh, that Becky Hammond and the Aces are playing. It's very, very successful. And it's frankly why I believe they're a contender for the championship. Now I do, Tyler, I do have one concern. I know it's early in the season and we've got a long way to go uh, until September, until the playoffs get going, but the starters are playing a heavy, heavy minutes early on. And again, this is a team that plays at a really fast pace. I'm not sure we're going to know. If that's going to have an effect on the season, it might not. But without a bench, you know, Becky Hammond clearly hasn't developed a ton of trust yet in her bench right now because of how many minutes um, the starter's playing. That's clearly a reflection of how she feels. Without Raquana Williams, you know, can you continue to win without putting too much wear and tear on your starting lineup for what's going to be a really long season? Uh, that's my one concern. But, but when you watch them play, uh, stylistically, it's, it's, it's very, very exciting. They're, they're good enough defensively, I think. Um, with the style they play of defense and, and really impressed with how Asia Wilson um, has adjusted to playing as the lone big on the floor without guarding bigger players, guarding up, really committing to the defensive end of the floor. So, uh, yes, you, you want a bigger sample size before you, you're able to kind of make a declaration about how good this team is, but everything we've seen so far suggests that they're a championship contender and maybe the championship favorite, and I do think they, uh, they're going to be one of the last teams standing at the end of the season. Uh, do you like how she seems to never be, uh, Becky Hammond, never be satisfied? And she will point uh, out afterwards, hey, it's all nice. It's not about the score. We have to play the right way. Thousand percent. Yeah, hundred, a thousand percent. You could tell. I, I mean, I just, at least the sense I get, Ed, just, you know, watching her coach, she's still, that, that competitive drive that propelled her to the highest of highs in the WNBA, it's still there. Just the way she carries herself, the way she conducts herself, the way she engages with officials, she's, so invested in the outcome of what seems like each possession. And I think the players uh, really respect and respond to her intensity, and, and, and they, they're responding. I mean, like, you see how they're playing? I mean, they're playing fantastic, and they seem to respond um, exactly to the, 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 buttons, the buttons she's pushing. So uh, it's, 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 she, she, I think, recognizes that in order to win in September, it's about building the proper habits in May. She knows they're talented enough to, to roll through the season and be a one or a two seed. Uh, they've done that year in and year out, and, and the, the young players on this roster are now in or entering their primes, right? But in order to win a championship, everything is going to – you can't make mistakes. I mean, we see how it's playing out on the NBA. You make a couple mistakes at a crucial time, and that's the difference between the game. So ironing out those habits right now I think is crucial, and, you know, the Aces, I'm sure, hope that that pays dividends down the road. It's, it's certainly what she's trying to do, and 6-1 uh, and one was, you know, the most exciting team in the league and probably the most – you know, one of the most talented rosters, it, it, it looks like – is definitely working. Can she bring herself off the bench? <laughs> hey, she, I, she certainly, I think it would certainly help, right? Uh, based <laughs> on how their bench is playing right now. Well, he is Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Anytime. Sam. Have a great appreciate week. it. Hope, hope to talk soon. Miss twice, earn a slice. <laughs> Miss twice, earn a slice. <laughs> here's, a, here's a stat for you. Uh, WNBA five-player lineups. The second most used five-player lineup this year has played 72 minutes. The number one is the Aces starting lineup has played 135 minutes. 
almost doubled. She actually went to the bench yesterday. Uh, not well, they many were up, minutes. They were up by thirty. Yeah, but I mean, uh, in the first <laughs> half, she she did it so much to where two people on press row go, "Hey, there's more than one person checking in. Look at this." She, I the part the part that I found funny about the bench is I don't know if um if I think it was Sydney Colson. I don't know if she got hurt or something, but they had ten players dressed right for the game, and they're winning by like thirty in the fourth quarter. But for whatever reason, she was only playing four of the bench players. So Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, and Chelsea Gray all had to take like a three-minute shift right. in a 30-point blowout with the four bench players because I, Sydney Colson, I don't know, she wasn't playing. I don't know what happened there. But like, they don't even have enough bench players that when they're winning by 30, they <laughs> can they rest can play all, the five and right. all the starters. So it's, uh, yeah, they're playing the starters quite a lot. But here's the, uh, they're outscoring opponents by 24 points per 100 possession yeah. when the starters are on the floor, which is unbelievably good. Like that's going to be the best lineup in the WNBA for the entirety of the season, but they probably shouldn't play as much as they're playing right now. That might not work out very well. Coming up next. Are the Oilers actually good? You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN, Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Do you believe in the Edmonton Oilers? I believe in the Edmonton Oilers for this round. For this round, not going forward. Calgary going home. I believe in the Edmonton Oilers All for right. this round. Is that because the Avalanche are likely waiting in the next round? Yes. And <laughs> I believe in this round because Connor McDavid can play one on 10 and still score. Apparently. He's um, amazing. Calgary's going to come back and win this series. Okay. I don't believe in the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. I think I want the Oilers to win. Oh, you you have to want yeah. you you have to want McDavid to win. I think I want Edmonton, Colorado in the Western Conference Final. I think that could be a waste of eight days, but you never never know. That's a good point. It could be a waste of eight could days. Could be a waste of eight days. But I think that's what I want. And I guess Tampa and first Gerard Gallant. Well, you want Gerard Gallant going as far as possible yeah. for obvious reasons. So, but I, I think I I want Edmonton, but I still don't believe. I I think this is prime for a Calgary comeback. And looking around, saying, "How the hell did this happen again to the Edmonton Oilers?" Because thing, things are going too well for Connor McDavid, and we don't you seen, want him to go as far as he can yes, go? Yes, but things are things are going too well for him, and things normally don't go well for him and the Oilers in the postseason. Like he's over here. Wait, he's got like a ridiculous. He's got like twenty he's, something points. He's completely out of his mind at this right. point. So like it, it's prime for oh, Connor McDavid doesn't get a point hey, in the Kane's last three hat tricks. Yeah. By the way, how about that guy? Hell? Evander Kane, How about that guy. The Oilers sign him. They paid him like a million dollars this year, and it was like, eh, should they really assign that guy? Yeah. And now I think he's got the most goals of anybody on the Oilers this year. I think anybody in the postseason. In the postseason, I'm so sure he's got most goals. Year. He just had a hat trick. Yeah, he's up to ten. It's ridiculous. So I don't believe in them. I think Calgary is still coming back. If Jordan Bennington didn't get hurt, Jordan Bennington now out for the series uh, for the Blues. How would you feel about the Blues winning that series against Colorado? I would not believe in them like I do the Oilers. <laughs> you're you're still upset that I believe in the Oilers. No, I hope I hope you're right. So here's the interesting part about the Colorado St. Louis series. If you look at like uh, shots, chances, expected goals, game one, the Avalanche dominated. Right, they won in overtime, but they dominated. Game two, St. Louis dominated. Yeah, St. Louis, St. Louis was did. They did much better. Yeah. Game three was even. The expected goals in game three was 2.5 to 2.5. It was as even of a game as you'll see from expected goals. Colorado ended up winning game three. uh, And maybe more importantly, Jordan Bennington is out for the rest of the season 
or rest of the of this series with a knee injury after a collision with Nazem Kadri of Colorado. I still think St. Louis has a chance. Okay. I don't I, goalies are meat bags. Told you this before. Just put in. <laughs> okay. Oh no. Put in some other meat bag back there. Put and in Laurent Brassois. But the interesting part is that St. Louis in three games has only been outplayed once. And that was game one. The last two games, St. Louis outplayed Colorado and played them pretty evenly in game three. And there's a, there's reason to believe the next five games or less of this series, yes. St. Louis is going to play relatively well yeah. with Colorado. Now, Colorado has more talent and skill. They're still probably going to win the series, but there's reason to believe that St. Louis can play with Colorado for five more games and potentially win this series. Not including the meat bag. Yeah, meat bags are meat bags. Doesn't matter. See, I I would think that Bennington being out actually, it might even help. There you go. St. Louis that's right. Come on, Danny. That's right. Because if you talk about a meat look, bag, they're if meat you go bags. back and look at the start of the playoffs, Bennington was on the bench. That's right. And um, what's his name? Husson or Hutton or whoever started. Husson. Husson. He was the starter right. in the regular season. Right. Yeah. So. Bennington meat being bags, out Ed. might actually help. They're St. all meat bags. They're all the meat bags. Winning the series. Having said that, I did take uh, Colorado puck line tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for it to mess with them mentally. It always comes back to that, with Danny. It always comes back to that. Do you bet the Celtics tonight? Uh, no, I am awful at NBA betting. So I. Because of the. Uh, in- I don't. Period or because of the blowouts of this postseason? Uh, Just period, regular season, playoffs, everything. (laughs) Um, The only game in the playoffs I've bet was the first game of Mavericks Golden State to go over. It was 214 and a half. It ended at, I think, like 198. And then Uh. game two was 250. I was like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Bye. Uh, Do you believe Bennington threw a water bottle at Nazem Kadri? Yeah. Did you see the video? It's just Kadri talking to the TNT crew, and he says, "Oh, I think Bennington just threw a water yes. bottle at me." But you don't? you don't you don't see a water bottle. It's just him claiming. There have been that. other players who said it was him. Okay, there have been. Yes, there have been other. I players hope he did. It. I hope he did too. I think we should. I think they should be allowed to throw water bottles at whoever's doing the TNT. Kadri's getting death threats. All he the is? nice St. Louis people. Yeah, the police are involved. What? Yes. Really? Big story. Yeah. He's because he ran threats. into Bennington. Yes. Police are involved in St. Louis at this point. He's getting death, death threats. threats. Yes. Yes. What's wrong with people? <laughs> They're out of their minds. That's what, what's wrong what's with people. What's wrong? That's ridiculous.